Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, December 9th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we are going to discuss some of our favorite alternative Christmas movies. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined by SlashFilm senior writer and chief film critic, Chris Evangelista. Oh, hi. So, Chris, uh, at the very end of every episode of the show, we always talk about like one of the things that we do is uh, do deep dives into the great features you can find on the site. And it's actually kind of rare that we do that because we're normally doing mini water coolers or news episodes. But this is a perfect uh, opportunity for us to do this. You just published this article on SlashFilm.com called 29 Alternative Christmas Movies That Aren't Die Hard. So uh, tell me a little bit about this article and then we'll go through some of our choices here. Yeah, I've, I you know uh, to make it to, you know to to be clear, I am not uh, knocking Die Hard. Die Hard is a great movie. I love Die Hard. Um, but every year, uh, the same argument crops up every every holiday season where people say Die Hard's a Christmas movie, and you know what it is. I feel like we can put that to bed at this point. We don't need to, we don't need to belabor that anymore. We don't need to argue about it anymore. I feel like at this point, it's no longer. Um, What's the word I'm looking for here? It's no longer uh, like a novel argument. Yeah, it's it's no longer like yeah a, a unique novel argument to be like, did you know Die Hard's a Christmas movie? Because it feels like at this point everyone has accepted that that is a Christmas movie. That is a traditional Christmas movie. And I wanted to highlight the fact that there are, there's a whole world of of you know what I like to think of as alternative Christmas movies like Die Hard movies that may not scream that they're uh, you know blatant christmas movies with a, a happy go lucky holiday message but they take place around christmas time they have uh, you know a christmas vibe to them um you know when i i don't you know uh, speaking of myself when i think of christmas i you know i like christmas i like the holiday season i like the lights and i like the traditions and i like you know 
getting drunk. <laughs> but I also feel like Christmas is a, a very sort of lonely kind of time of year because, you know, it's the end of the year The you know, you, you're, you're left to sort of reflect on everything you did throughout the year. And if, if you failed to sort of reach certain goals, that sort of comes back to haunt you in a way. And the weather changes like yeah. you mentioned in your article as well. Yeah. It gets, you know, there's like three hours of daylight and, <laughs> and you know, everything is just like extra cold and dark and, it's, you know, it's, it can be a very lonely sort of melancholy time of year. And, you know, when I think of alternative Christmas movies, I tend to sort of gravitate towards films that, that kind of have that vibe. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have any rules for this per se. It, basically it has to ha- involve Christmas in some sort of way. You know, it has to, it can't just be like a random time of year. It has to sort of involve Christmas and it has to have that sort of vibe to it and that's kind of what i was going for here with this list where you know it's a list of films that uh a lot of them are are dark and violent um and and moody and sad uh that's not not to say this is like wall-to-wall misery there you know there are fun things on this list too but there there are there are fun things that have that sort of melancholy vibe to them so you know my, my intention with this list was to say look let's get beyond the diehard argument and let's mm-hmm. talk about these other movies. And, you know, it's a big list It's 29 films, but even then, like there's still so many more, like uh, uh, when I started this list, it was 20 and I just, I just kept adding to it. And I was like, all right, I have to stop adding to this or I'll never ever finish it. But the minute I hit, <laughs> the minute I hit publish, I was like, God damn, I wish I had included this and this and this. So, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll revisit this every year and uh, I'll keep it going. Yeah. I would love that. A sequel article. Yeah. So, but for now, these are the films that like sprung to mind the most for me. These are the films that I try and uh, revisit every holiday season. You know, I mean, I get to all of them every holiday season, but they're the ones I, that are like on my mind when uh, the holidays roll around. Yes. So that was, yeah, really well said. I loved reading this article. There were several in here that I'd never heard of. So I'm excited to, to add those to my list and check them out. There are several more that I have not seen. I've heard of, but still not seen. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of stuff on here that I think, you know, even, even maybe like the most seasoned cinephile, uh, it's not all, you know, super obvious choices here. So. Yeah. That, that was the other thing I was going for here where, you know, like the minute I published this, some, someone on Twitter was instantly like, what about gremlins? And like, look, gremlins, great movie. But I, <laughs> I also feel like gremlins is sort of like in there with Die Hard in that everyone accepts that gremlins is a traditional Christmas movie at this point. And I wanted to try and highlight things that might not be so obvious. I'm not saying like everything on this list is obscure. There's plenty of obvious things on this list, but I really wanted to try and make it more, uh, you know, stuff that you don't just hear about every single Christmas. Yeah. I think the diehard argument, I don't know. My, my sense of time has been even more drastically skewed by the pandemic than it was pre pandemic. But in my memory, in my sort of faded memory, it sort of feels like the diehard conversation sort of peaked around like I don't know, 2015 or something like the the mainstreamification of this Die Hard is a Christmas movie argument. And it just feels like every year it's just recycled over and over and over again. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, we can publish something on Slash Film that is maybe a little bit of a corrective to what now feels like a super tired conversation that yeah. has just been talked to death. So uh, yeah, let's go through a couple of our favorites here. Um, I guess maybe, Chris, you say one and then I'll say one. and We'll just go back and forth like that. So uh, we certainly want to encourage people to read this, the, you know, the entire article. We're not going to go through all of them here. But I think maybe if each of us mentions maybe five movies off this uh, list, it will maybe give people 
uh, a good baseline and, and sort of, um, yeah, an understanding of what they can expect from this article. So why don't you go first? Sure. The one that I absolutely have to watch every holiday season is uh, Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. That's become uh, like a, you know, a pretty much a tradition for me every, every year I have to watch it. And it, it's so weird to think about like that movie was actually originally released in July, which just seems like bizarre to me because it's so Chris, it's like wall to wall Christmas. I can't imagine like watching that in the summer. It would just feel weird to me. It would be like, you know, putting up Christmas decorations in the summer basically is, is how that would feel to me. So every, every holiday season I, I revisit this. Um, uh, I do know for a while there, people, uh, people were sort of like, not really sure what to make of eyes wide shut. Uh, you know, it was Kubrick's final film and there's, there's some debate about whether or not it's even his final cut because he was notorious for tinkering with movies, even after they came out, like even after uh, the shining had its, its premiere, he went back and recut it. And the same thing with 2001 space Odyssey. So the argument has always been like, Oh, he probably would have changed it some more had he not died. And maybe that's true, but I don't think that makes the the film that as it is now any less uh, amazing, which is just, I just think it's, it's probably like, like in my top like five Kubrick films, it's just this great uh, moody atmospheric uh, trip through one very long night during Christmas time where, where Tom Cruise wanders around a New York city back lot, getting into misadventures <laughs> well, Chris, I remember last year you and I having a big conversation where you tried to convince me to watch this movie because I'd never seen it. And uh, I regret to inform you that I still have not seen this movie. This um, is the air, Ben. I know. It really is. I think uh, like this week, I think, is my final week of like uh, essentially cramming for end of the year stuff. So I think I'm going to have this little window in between now and and actual you know Christmas Day where uh, I can I can finally yeah watch Eyes Wide Shut. So I'm very excited to see this movie. Um, I know that it, you hold it in extremely high esteem, so um, and, and many people do as well. So, uh, all right. So that one. Speaking of high esteem, uh, one of the movies that you highlighted here that I wanted to uh, put on, you know, uh, to to sort of whatever shine a light on again is uh, the Apartment, Billy Wilder's movie from what year did that come out? Nineteen sixty. Um, yeah, man, this movie is just it's so incredible. And and Chris, you're talking a little bit about like the melancholy nature of Christmas. I think this is a movie. I haven't seen every movie on this list, but of the films that I've seen that you spotlighted here, maybe more than any other, the apartment sort of captures that, uh, that sort of ineffable sense of like, there's a little bit of sadness and the sadness is like for plot related reasons, but it also kind of fits with that end of the year vibe that you were talking about at the top of the show. So um, Shirley MacLaine in particular, I mean, she's just uh, like her performance is so heartbreaking and so damn good. And it's one of those movies that you watch, I've seen this movie, I don't know, four or five times or something. And just every time it feels like you're watching it brand new, it feels like the movie is just smacking you in the face with how good it is every single time. So if you've never seen The Apartment, uh, now is the time. It's streaming on a few different places like the Roku and Tubi TV and Canopy. Uh, but you can rent it at you know all the usual suspects. Yeah, but, there's, uh, a, there, there's this part in the, that movie, like the plot of that movie for this, I don't know, is, is Jack Lemmon is this total loser who lets his bosses use his apartment to have affairs. And there's this one part where like they're, one of his bosses is up in his apartment and Jack Lemmon is like on a, like a park bench in the, it's like pitch black outside and he's, <laughs> and he's like freezing and he eventually gets a cold. And like when I think of like winter and the holiday season, I just think of that scenario of just like 
sitting outside somewhere and like freezing your ass off and being like, <laughs> why am I not inside right now? It is so goddamn cold out. And like, that's, I, I just love moments like that. Yeah. That actually, that kind of idea, that imagery comes up in another movie on your list later on. So <laughs> there's a little, a little tease, yeah. but um, all right. So what's your, what's your next choice here? Uh, Carol, which is the, the Todd Haynes film with uh, Kate Blanchett and uh, Rooney Mara. Um, I, I, I adore this movie. Um, uh, I remember when I, I first saw this movie during a press screening, um, I, when it ended, it ends on this such this like high romantic note that it kind of made me like dizzy. Like I staggered out of the theater and it was just like, God damn, what a good movie. And, you know, it's set during Christmas. It's, it, it takes place in the 1950s. And it's about these two very different women from very different social classes, uh, you know, falling in love. And, um, you know, back then, uh, you know, I'm not saying that everyone accepts it nowadays, but they're more accepting now than they were back in the 1950s. So uh, that relationship is is very uh, forbidden for its time. And it's about them just navigating this 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 romance they're having against the backdrop of uh, Christmas in the city in 19 in the 1950s. And that this movie, too, has that that cold chilly lonely vibe to it yeah it's a really quiet movie great great pick good stuff a lot of uh a lot of iconic imagery there i know jacob hates the use of the word iconic but i think <laughs> i think uh rooney mara and a santa hat and and just like kate lynchette with all the the isn't she rocking like fur coats and just like these you know glorious looking clothing i think yeah uh, maybe it's a an early contender for uh, for inching into iconic status there. So I'll allow it. Don't tell Jacob. <laughs> um, okay, so next up here is uh, a movie called The Silent Partner. And I watched this, I think it was either last year or, or earlier this year for the first time. And I remember talking about this with you on the uh, on a water cooler episode. Um, this film stars Elliot Gould and Christopher Plummer. And Gould plays a sort of a, a bank teller who... I guess comes face to face with uh, a thief who dresses up like Santa Claus played by, uh, by Christopher Plummer, who, you know, people might know as like the captain Von Trapp from the sound of music. Um, and man, he is just like completely out of his mind playing a villain in this movie. And I had heard about this film. I think I had seen maybe a trailer for it as like somebody had shared this, like what the hell is this movie like several years ago, but I, I had forgotten what it was. And I think you mentioned it on a, a previous episode of the show. And I was like, Oh, I'm definitely watching this. It's called the silent partner. And uh, man, I was not disappointed by this movie at all. It's like an hour 40. It's like a real brisk, um, you know, super tightly paced movie that, uh, it came out in, in the late seventies and it has like, it has a more of a modern feel to it than some of the other Elliot Gould stuff that I've seen. Um, like the, the, uh, God, what is the, the real famous one? Uh, is it the long goodbye? Is yeah. That, long okay. Goodbye. Yeah. That, that's a really, um, laconic movie. I would describe it as, and this movie is like, it, you know, it's from a similar era, similar time period, but man, this thing just cooks as a movie. And like the, the, um, extent to which Christopher Plummer, really revels in the villainy is um is something to behold so if you've never seen it i'm not going to spoil what happens but uh check out the silent partner it is probably unlike many of the other movies that you'll see uh especially around this time it's like it's crazy dark too because you think like elliot gould he's that kind of like fun he's he's naturally funny and he's funny in this and you think it's going to be like sort of like a dark comedy but it just gets like ridiculously dark as it <laughs> as it progresses it's so good yeah 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 uh all right what's next for you chris uh i can't you know i can't do a list without a spielberg movie so let's go with catch me if you can which is uh 
another one of those lonely Christmas movies. Um, uh, I've read a bunch of uh, biographies about Steven Spielberg and um, almost all of them mention the fact that, you know, he, he, he's, a, he's, he's Jewish and he was this Jewish kid growing up and he was really jealous of other people getting to celebrate Christmas. And I feel like he channeled all that Christmas jealousy into this movie uh, and also hook to, a, to some extent, but more so in this movie where um, several different Christmases take place um, as the time goes by. And, you know, uh, this movie is, of course, it's about uh, a teenager, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who, who cons his way through life. And, and Tom Hanks is the FBI agent trying to track him down. And this, this running bit throughout the film is uh, every year on Christmas Eve, DiCaprio's character calls up Tom Hanks's character uh, you know, just to sort of be like, you just talk to him. And, you know, even though he knows Tom Hanks is trying to arrest him, he, he just calls him up. And, you know, the implication for that is both of these guys are just completely alone. They really don't have anyone else except each other mm-hmm. to talk to on Christmas. And uh, there's this really uh, heartbreaking moment near the end of the film. Spoiler alert for Catch Me If You Can. But but uh, near the end of the film, the, the DiCaprio character has has he's been caught, but he's escaped custody. And he tries to go back home uh, to his mother. His father, by Christopher Walken, has died. And he tries to go back home to his mother. And he, he goes to her house and he finds that uh, it's Christmas Eve and they're decorating the tree. And he finds that she's completely moved on. She has a new husband. She has a new child. And uh, the DiCaprio character like realizes he literally has like nowhere to go. And... Uh, the cops show up and Tom Hanks shows up and he literally like begs Tom Hanks to like get him out of there. Like literally just, you know, arrest me again so I can get the hell out of here because mm-hmm. I have, I have like no one. And that's, you know, again, it's bleak as hell, but you know, that that's, <laughs> that's Christmas in my mind, this very lonely time of year. Yeah. And man, the, like the, the way that, ah, I don't know. I mean, I, I was just about to praise the way that Spielberg moves the camera and just like his framing, <laughs> but like, there's nothing that I could say that people don't already know. He's just a master. So great stuff. Uh, okay. <laughs> this one, Chris, I have to admit, I totally forgot that this was a Christmas movie, but I want to put this on people's radar because uh, I forgot and it's ridiculous and I kind of love it. And the movie is Cobra from 1986 in which Sylvester Stallone plays a man named Marion Cobra Cobretti. Uh, <laughs> Just, I mean, one of the peak, the absolute peak, ridiculous 1980s action movies. Um, I mean, where to even begin with trying to describe what this film is? I mean, first of all, go look up the poster if you've never seen it, because it's a really uh, striking image of of Stallone just carrying this ridiculous, uh, I don't know, like an Uzi kind of gun with like a seemingly a laser coming out of it. And um, I think that the, the uh, tagline is something like... Uh, crime is a disease he's the cure yeah just, like, just the a cure. great yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the cure. so fantastic and uh so this movie is just completely over the top uh in almost every way but it is set at christmas time so it is it is technically a christmas movie in this uh in this sort of alternative um layout that you've fashioned here and i kind of love it for that i totally forgot that 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 was the setting but Man, the um, the insanity of the, some of the stuff that happens in this movie. So, like, th- there's a big uh, opening sequence that takes a, uh, takes place at a grocery store, and I just want to read a couple sentences from the Wikipedia um, <laughs> uh, synopsis here, where 
it sets up that you know that there's a hostage crisis at a supermarket in LA around Christmas, and they call in Cobra, this member of the uh, the quote unquote zombie squad of the LAPD, whatever the hell that is. This like division of like yeah. badass cops. Uh, so here's the the sentence from Wikipedia. Cobretti, known by the, the code name Cobra, infiltrates the store, locates and negotiates with the gunman who threatens him by speaking of a vague and unknown organization known as the New World, a supremacist group of social Darwinist radicals that despise modern society and believe in killing the weak, leaving only the strongest and smartest to rule the world. Cobretti then kills the gunman by throwing a knife at his abdomen and firing shots at him. <laughs> I mean, just like the, that's not a very well-written sentence, but it, it I think encapsulates a little bit of the ridiculousness of what you can expect if you've never seen this film. There's a lot of just really goofy imagery in this movie, uh, probably none more so than Stallone slicing a piece of pizza with yes. scissors. scissors. <laughs> what kind of behavior is that, Chris? Have you ever seen that anywhere else in your life in any context than in Cobra? No, he's just he's just that <laughs> friggin' crazy. And my, my favorite bit of trivia about Cobra, and I wrote this in the thing, is uh, for a while there, Stallone was supposed to star in Beverly Hills Cop and he was developing the project and they wanted it to be a comedy and he couldn't wrap his hand around the head around that. And he just kept making it darker and more violent. And eventually they were like, we we're not making this movie. So Stallone basically took the script he was making for Beverly Hills Cop and reworked it into Cobra. So just imagine some alternate universe where the movie that is Cobra is is Beverly Hills Cop, and what a, <laughs> what a world that is! Yeah, exactly. Okay, what's your next choice? Uh, Black Christmas. I'm talking about the original here because there are, there are multiple Black Christmases, and Black Christmas is um, uh, a horror movie um, from the '70s. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people uh, give Halloween a lot of credit for you know uh, being the sort of first horror movie that. Uh, makes great use of a holiday, but Black Christmas actually came before it. And uh, more trivia here. My, one of my favorite bits of trivia for Black Christmas is the guy who directed it, Bob Clark, also directed A Christmas Story. So he has two Christmas classics to his name, and they're both very, very different. Uh, <laughs> Black Christmas is about a group of uh, sorority sisters who are being tormented during Christmas time. They're, it starts off with... um. They get obscene phone calls, but as it turns out, uh, again, spoiler alert, the caller is inside the house and he's uh, been killing them off one by one. And, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a product of its time. So it's not as um, gory or whatever as, as uh, certain other movies. Uh, you know, they're, the first remake of this is is like over the top gory. But this this one doesn't go as gory, but it's it's the much better film. It, it's upsetting and it's disturbing and it's kind of weird and it, it again has that that lonely long dark night feeling to it where mm -hmm. you just feel like you know i feel there's you know there's very little sunlight and nighttime is is abundant and uh you can just like feel the the coldness radiating off the scenes here yeah this one i saw probably uh, 10 or 12 years ago for the first time and you know just thinking okay this is just a a typical slasher movie but it felt like um, I don't know, it, it has a little bit more heft to it than just, you know, some of the more disposable slasher stuff that I've seen anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie. And, and I think I, I also saw the, have there been just two remakes at this point? Yeah, there's okay. been two. 
So I saw the one from like the early 2000s or whatever, and I thought that was okay. But yeah, the original is, is a far superior uh, version. I've not seen the most recent remake, but um, okay. So my next choice here is uh, The Green Knight, which came out earlier this year. And uh, David Lowry wrote and directed this movie. It stars Dev Patel as uh, Gawain, this sort of Arthurian uh, a figure in King Arthur's court, basically, like Arthur's nephew, I think, is his character's role. And uh, the, the movie begins and I guess technically ends on Christmas um, when the Green Knight, who is this almost like mythical figure who's like made out of a tree, basically comes riding into uh, Camelot and he sort of lays down this challenge where he says, you know, something to the effect of like, uh, I don't know, how would you describe so, the interaction yeah. there, Chris? Basically what he says is I challenge anyone here to strike a blow on me and uh the only rule is that i get to return that blow in a year's time and the implication there is you know you could do something very light you could literally pick up your sword and like comically tap the green knight on his head and be done with it and uh gawain because he's such a a dick is like (laughs) no i'm gonna go out and he just flat out cuts the green knight's head off and of course that backfires because the green knight is this supernatural being who then picks up his severed head and the head says Basically, you know, see you in a year, buddy. And uh, that's that's what happens. Yeah, so Christmas then is looming large uh, in the life of Gawain for this next whole year. He's got to just live with the knowledge that like, oh shit, the Green Knight's going to come after me in a year, basically. So it kind of like feels a little bit like a horror movie in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a whole like big, um, I guess like Arthurian epic kind of journey film basically of him. Uh, you know, the, the time runs out and he decides, okay, I have to go like do something about this and like become the, the sort of knight that I was meant to be, or that I think I should be kind of like live up to my destiny. And, uh, the movie does not really deal with Christmas all that much. Um, I mean, the, the inciting incident certainly takes place on it. And I guess the, the very end of it is, uh, you know, sort of closes the loop on the, on the calendar, but, um, but man, yeah, it's a, it's a really fascinating movie. The cinematography is just I mean, like breathtakingly beautiful. Um, There's some really, really gorgeous imagery here. And I thought the performances were all pretty good too. This is one of those movies where David Lowry uh, does a lot with a little. You can tell the budget is not huge on this, but he really um, makes great use of like the landscapes and you really feel like you're, you know, fully pulled in and immersed in this world. So if you missed The Green Knight earlier this year, I would definitely recommend checking out. It is, uh, you can rent it for, you know, three or four bucks or whatever on all of the the usual services. So check that one out. Uh, Chris, your, is it your last choice here? Yeah. Yes, our last choice. Yeah, and actually my last choice is this one as well. So we can just talk about it jointly here. Yeah, so uh, I feel like you can't have a list like this without at least one Shane Black film, although I have two on the list. And because Shane Black, uh, of course, is, is a screenwriter and a filmmaker who, who loves Christmas. He loves putting Christmas in his scripts. Um, uh, the first Lethal Weapon, he wrote that. That takes place during Christmas. Iron Man 3, he directed that. That, that takes place during Christmas. Um, but I feel like the best of his Christmas uh, movies is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a very funny, dark comedy. Um, it's this you know, sort of pulpy, noir Christmas story. Um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is in it. And this was uh, right sort of before his career blew up with with Iron Man. Um, 
you know, Robert Downey Jr. of course had been a star before, uh, and he fell in some hard times. You know, he, he had, he had troubles with addiction and he, he went to prison for a little while. Um, he just, you know, he had some trouble and he sort of became unbankable. And, uh, I don't know if you, you remember this, Ben, but like there was this period where he got cast on like Ali McBeal and everyone was like, wow, Robert Downey Jr. is great on Ali McBeal. But then he got arrested and he got fired from Ali McBeal and his career sort of just like took a nosedive and he slowly started to build his, his, his way back up with, with uh, character roles like this. And uh, he's just phenomenal in this, where he plays this sort of motor mouthed thief who uh, he's about to get busted for, for ripping off a toy store. And uh, he, he's running from the cops and he runs into this room to get away. And as it turns out the room uh, that he runs into, there's like an audition for a movie going on. And he sort of stumbles into the audition and he accidentally auditions for this part. And he's so like, he's such like an emotional wreck from being chased. And he actually just watched like his partner get shot that the, you know, the, the director and the casting agent think he's, he's like acting. And they're like, wow, this guy is really good. And they hire him <laughs> to be in their movie and they fly him out to LA. And uh, the movie he's supposed to be making is, is about uh, a private eye. So they, they hook him up with a real private eye played by Val Kilmer to sort of, you know, learned how to be a private eye and uh through all these you know unlikely scenarios uh he ends up stumbling into a real murder mystery and there's all sorts of like twists and turns and he reconnects with um uh a woman who was his childhood sweetheart basically he hasn't seen her in years but she just happens to be in la right now and she's she's a struggling actress actress played by uh michelle monaghan who's really good in this and uh, every time I watch this, I get a little angry because it feels like this should have been the movie that turned Michelle Monaghan into like a huge star. Yes. And it didn't like, not that she hasn't like been working steadily since this movie, but I feel like she's never become as big a star as she should be. Cause she's so good and she's so good in this. Uh, and so like the three of them, Val Kilmer, Michelle Monaghan and Robert Downey Jr. are just all, all great together as they, they, they get embroiled in this, increasingly confusing mystery and the whole thing is set during christmas in la and there's a lot of just christmas iconography all throughout the film and and the script is just so smart and funny and and clever and i just i I love this movie yeah it's it's such a great little puzzle movie and like a lot of the noirs and stuff that this movie is ripping on like uh or, or riffing on i should say is um you know like like a what is the one? Uh, why am I blanking on things today? The the Bogart movie, um, The Big Sleep, yeah. uh, was like famously, even the people who made that movie didn't know exactly what was going on. There were so many uh, plates spinning that when somebody like posed a question of, okay, who is this person who has just been murdered? Like what what is their uh, involvement in the larger plot? They had to like call the person... Uh, Raymond Chandler, who wrote the the novel on which the the script is based, because they they couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. They they lost the thread basically, and they ultimately realized like, okay, it really doesn't matter. We're more about like you know, as they say now, we're more about the vibes than yes. than uh, actually following you know in, in each of these individual threads. I feel like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang has it both ways. It has the vibes and and the uh, the smart Alec, um, you know, whip smart uh, back and forth, super funny super clever dialogue, especially between Kilmer and, uh, and Robert Downey Jr. But it also, you can actually follow the, all the labyrinthine twists and turns that, that this movie takes, uh, you know, uh, on its way to the end. Um, and so it is a, like a super enjoyable experience because of that. You sort of get to have your cake and eat it too with this movie. And I think 
you know, a lot of people probably know about this because of Robert Downey Jr. and because of his rise to, to fame, or I guess re-rise to fame uh, in that Iron Man period. But yeah, this came out in 2005 and I didn't actually know the the bit about him getting arrested and kicked off of Ally McBeal because I never watched Ally McBeal, but I remember seeing him at that time or around that time and just being like, holy crap, like this guy, he's been off screen for, in my in my life anyway, for so long. I, I can't wait to see him in more stuff. And then he ended up sort of getting, I mean, I, I liked the stuff that he did in the MCU, but I... Yeah, it's, uh, I just, it's I, been, it's, it's, yeah, like, I don't want to, tr- look, I don't want to go off on a rant about the MCU, but like, I, I'm really glad that, uh, what is that movie? Oh, he's going to be in the, the Christopher Nolan movie. And I'm, I'm yes, the and Oppenheimer like, even one, though yeah. I don't know, I don't know how that movie's going to turn out. Just the news that he's working outside the MCU again has me excited because. On the non-Doolittle project. Yes, yeah. because like, yeah, the, the only two non-MCU movies he's acted in in the last, like what has it been like 10 or 15 years have been either Doolittle, which is awful and the judge, which is also awful. <laughs> so I, I'm so thrilled that he's like out of that period and he's like, oh, I'm going to work with, you know, good directors again. So yeah. I, I, I really hope, you know, he has like a, a, a memorable role in that because he's so good. Uh, you know, when you look at him and other things, you know, this and uh, uh, like Zodiac and even, um, Good night and good luck. He has like a small role in that, but he's so good in that too. And it's like, I want that Robert Downey Jr. bag again, the one who's not just Iron Man. A hundred percent. And Michelle Monaghan, man, like this was, I think she was an eagle eye, like maybe two or three years after this. And it really felt like, okay, she's like on the cusp of becoming sort of the next big thing. And then, yeah, like you said, it just sort of never really happened. And she, you know, she's been on TV shows. I think she was on uh, that show with Aaron Paul on Hulu called The Acts or or what was it called? Uh, oh, the, the one path. about the, the path. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Um, about the cult. Uh, but I never actually saw that show, but um, yeah, man, I, I just, I wish there was more Michelle Monaghan in our lives. I'm glad that she had been, you know, that she got like we've woven back into the mission impossible uh, film franchise a little bit. And then Val Kilmer, like, you know, there was that, that Amazon documentary Val that came out earlier this year that I thought was really good uh, for the most part. And, and it, one of the things that disappointed me most about it was a lot of that movie is like it shows uh, his own behind the scenes footage for a bunch of the movies that he was in, you know, from the beginning of his career all the way up to like right around the year 2000 or so. And then it sort of speeds through the last, you know, 15, 20 years of his career. And you just get a couple little flashes here and there and kiss, kiss, bang, bang falls in that period where I love this movie so much and he is great in it. And this was, you know, one of those movies, I think one of the last movies that that you could say had a, a truly great Val Kilmer performance. And I was hoping that there would be a lot of great uh, behind the scenes stuff of him and Robert Downey Jr. just like dicking around on set. But you'd never really get to see that in, in the Val documentary. But um, the the feeling that you get from watching this movie is just that everybody who is making it is having a great time. And sometimes when you watch something, you feel that. And then the movie just feels shaggy and like a little sloppy because it's almost like people were having so much fun making it that they didn't you know they forgot about something there was some part that 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 didn't have all the attention paid that it should have been but this movie i feel like uh it was that just a an example of that sort of perfect alchemy that happens when everything falls into place so uh if you've not seen kiss kiss bang bang that one is streaming on canopy right now or again you can rent it uh for like four bucks or whatever in a bunch of different places and i would definitely encourage you to do that because um, this one, I, I think I have it on Blu-ray or, or DVD or something. And uh, I've not seen this one in 
I don't know, probably five or six years at this point. And I'm definitely going to, this one and Eyes Wide Shut um, are must watches for me before Christmas this year. So um, are there any, Chris, that, that you have not seen yet this holiday season that you're like, I am 100% not going to let 2021 end until I see X movie? Oh, I have like a whole list I, I, have, yet, I have yet to get to, but um, I actually, um, I took off the last week of, of the year for, you know, Give myself a break because boy, oh boy, fuck this year. <laughs> but my plan is like, I'm going to use that time to basically catch up on holiday movies and other movies I haven't watched yet and just, you know, uh, do nothing really. I just want to do nothing. Although I yeah. also have to, I also have to really clean my house because boy, <laughs> what a disaster. But that's, that's, that's here or there. That's but a yeah, story so, for a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I actually haven't really gone through a lot of the stuff on this list yet this year. So I'm going to try and I doubt I will get to all 29 of these films, but I'm going to try and get to a lot of them before, uh, hopefully before the new year. Excellent. Well, yeah, if you're looking for a, um, a really, really solid roadmap of some great Christmas adjacent movies to check out before uh, this year comes to a close, check out Chris's article. I will link it in the show notes. And that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. You can find more about the mo- the movies that we mentioned at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.